Welcome to the Politics of Everything. I'm Amber Danes, your host and podcast producer. This is a half hour of power, a podcast dropping every week where I unpack the politics of everything, from money to motherhood, nutrition to narcissism, startups to secularism, the environment, quality, and much, much more. Our guests are seasoned in the field or topic of their choice, even if you've not heard of them yet. This is a non-partisan show. So while I love exploring varied views and get a buzz from a healthy debate of ideas, this is not a purely blue, white, green program. Please subscribe, tune in and enjoy the politics of everything. Digital communication encompasses online tools like email, social media messaging and texting to reach other individuals or a specific audience to share a message. Even something as simple as reading the text on a web page can be considered digital communication and we all know this world very well. My guest today is Sharon Zeevepool and she's the founder and director of a highly regarded boutique PR and communications agency, Agent 99, and she's grown this company from a one-man band to a full-service award-winning agency located in the inner city of Sydney in a suburb called Surrey Hills. The agency specialises in launching or relaunching brands in the food, beverage and lifestyle spaces, as well as working with corporate clients, thought leaders and authors to raise their profile. Sharon has been lucky enough to work all over the world on high profile brands such as Warner Brothers, Pictures and Starbucks Coffee. And the agency has been recognised for its work, winning several national PRIA Golden Target Awards, including Boutique Agency of the Year a number of years in a row and Best Small Budget campaign in 2021. And I can't wait to get chatting about digital comms because it's something we all do. So welcome to the politics of everything, Sharon. Thanks so much, Amber. Happy to be here. Podcasting remotely can be challenging, but it doesn't have to be. Since day one of the politics of everything, I have relied on Zencaster's all-in-one solution to make the process quick and painless the way it should be for those of us who just love great content and want to get our ideas out into the world. If you know me, I'm obsessed with quality in terms of my guests, my sound, and everything about my show has to be great the first time. I'm time poor. It's so easy to use Zencaster. I'm not tech savvy and you don't need to be either. There's nothing to download. Just click on the link and off we go. Zencaster is all about making your podcasting experience easy and with everything from local recording to automate post-productions now in their toolkit, you don't have to leave your browser to get that episode done and done fast. I have a special offer for you and I hopefully you can experience what I have with Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com forward slash pricing and use my VIP code, the politics of everything, all lowercase in one word, to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Professional. How good is that? I want you to have the same easy experiences I do for all my podcasting and content needs. It's time to share your story. Okay, young Sharon, what did you want to be? when you grow up? I'm assuming it may not have been PR, but I could have been wrong. I, honestly, I didn't even know what PR was. There you go. Um, <laughs> and uh, I grew up in a family where my dad ran a business. It was a timber coatings manufacturing distribution company. and But he ran his own business and my mum worked with him. And so I only knew that world of owning your own business. So I knew that I wanted to do that at some point, but I didn't know what I was actually going to do. So I sort of studied marketing and accounting and management. And then I went to London and fell into a PR role. And I hadn't even studied it at uni, but I found the love of my life. And so I spent a number of years working in-house as well as pretty big agencies. 
And then, yeah, I was ready to start my own PR agency. I'd sort of seen the good, bad and the ugly. Um, <laughs> like we all have in this sector. Exactly. And I wanted to stay away from all those things. And I was always about cutting out all the fluff and really honing in on the results that the clients are really looking for and how are we making business impact. And that stayed true to our values to this day. And so did you formally study comms or was it something that you kind of, you know, worked your way through? How did you sort of get that first break, I guess, in the industry? Yeah, I'd studied marketing, which this was sort of, it was touched on, but I didn't really study PR per se. I always loved writing. And then I was just instinctively doing that in my earlier roles and didn't even know that it was PR, quote unquote. And so when I fell into an actual PR role in London and my then boss said, can you just write a press release for me? And I was like, oh my God, I better look up what a press release actually is. <laughs> Did we even have Google back then? I don't know. <laughs> uh, no. I don't think so. Honestly, no, I don't think so. And so I just did a bit of research and found out how to kind of put it together. And he just tested me because I was only doing some admin work for him. And then he said, you know what, this is really good. It's a bit long, but it's good. And then I just got it. I just got it straight away in terms of how to connect with journalists and how to write a really good story. And that fundamental really hasn't changed. Absolutely. So we obviously we're talking about digital communication today. You've probably witnessed, like I have, that evolution of digital comms. I mean, when I started my early career as a, a newspaper journalist at what was then Fairfax Newspapers, we had a fax machine where media releases came through. I think we had one internet computer which had the World Wide Web on it and we'd all have to book in times to use that for research. I had a Rolodex and Palm Pilot and that was it. So we've obviously come a long way. How has that really changed in your professional view? And is there some examples where you can see that it's it's just really changed the way we communicate. Oh, it's it's actually unbelievable. And I feel so old when I talk about this stuff because I can't believe the evolution that I've seen, which you've obviously seen as well in, in your lifetime. But And I laugh at the whole fax idea because my first note that I've written here is a fax press releases. <laughs> and so we used to fax our press releases, just blast them out. And online was already kind of alive, but it was amazing how clients just did not rate it. They couldn't, if you got an online piece of coverage, they're like, yeah, okay, great, but where's my traditional media? Where's my Yeah, exactly. Where's my hard copy that I can laminate and put on a wall or something? Exactly, of the newspaper, la, 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 la. And it's incredible. The minute websites and social media and SEO came into the mix, it revolutionized the way we look at things. And now digital PR and digital media is actually where it's at because the website is still everything. And that is where everyone finds you. Customers find you, they, they look for information about you. And it's all about ranking via SEO. It's all about those, you know, I guess, third party endorsements and links that are coming back into your site. So you can rank higher for those keywords social media driving that traffic to it's all about driving traffic to the website irrespective of what you're trying to do so it's really changed our world completely and it's about finding someone and and it's all about credibility and authenticity which is all online so someone will google you look for you and then if they see what they like well then you're going to convince them more and you have to be there when your customers are in search or in browse mode so if you're not there and your competitors are not gonna it's not gonna happen for you 
Absolutely. One thing that's a big part of digital comms, of course, is our digital footprint. And it's something all of us are going to have, whether you are in a sort of professional capacity or privately through your Facebook and Insta and all those other platforms. I think of it a little bit like a credit score, which is kind of, it's very personal to you, but it's very public. People can access that. What are some of the ways that you maybe advise some of your clients or in your own sort of practice, you think about protecting your digital footprint? Because people are probably not thinking that much about it when they're just posting party pics or they're thinking about sharing an article, which could be controversial. I mean, that's obviously all adding up to like a library, if you like, of our digital footprint. Yeah, 100%. And I think that part of of your persona obviously it's all digital now but it really hasn't changed in many ways the principle of if you don't want it out there don't put it out there it hasn't changed but now you know you have to be just conscious so you need to ask yourself that question every time you post do I want this out there how will this look long term for me and ask that question and then you will know very quickly whether you know it's common sense don't put it out there if you don't want it out there and if it can come back to you. I think that's one thing. And then clearly having the right settings across all of your socials and, and knowing where those boundaries are for you, that's really important and that's really on you. It's, a, it's about you protecting your own image and curating what that looks like. And I think that the younger generation is really, really conscious of that. It's actually the older generation that doesn't quite you know, connect with that, but, you know, it, it doesn't really. We think of it as secondary, I think, sometimes. I mean, I don't, I don't know how old thinking old is, but and then I think we think, oh, well, how I am in real life is what matters and this is just another aspect of that. You know, we're not actually thinking that it's the main way people might look us up or get an impression of us. Exactly. And it's it's really interesting when we're hiring, for example, you know, and I'll be talking to my team about a potential candidate that they're going to meet. Well, they've already well searched this person before I've even got to that point. And it's really interesting because, again, it's that psyche around, well, that's your digital life and that's what people are going to be looking at and that's the impression they're going to form of you. So protect that and be sensible about it too. And it's really interesting. My team has helped me to see some really big red flags about some people that I was very keen on but weren't necessarily truthful about their career or their steps forward or what's happened to them recently. If someone is forthcoming and it is there online, I'm happy with that. It means they're really honest and they're owning it. So also be, you know, be ready to own anything that has happened to you that is online and and, and be honest about what that situation might be. If, because let's be honest, we can't also control everything that's put out there. It might not even be us. It's other people capturing certain moments and tagging and all of that, and that's all there. So I think it's just knowing what that image is like and how that looks and ensuring that you're protecting that and that you've got, you know, you understand it and you know if you're going to be questioned about it. Can we change our digital footprint, say through a campaign or other ways? Because I've often had clients, because my specialty is crisis communication, so I'll have people going, there's all these stories about, you know, my dodgy buildings, for example, if I'm if it was a property developer, can I just get rid of it? And I'm like, no, it'll take time. You've got to still, you know, navigate that while you're trying to rebuild trust. But for people who maybe are not privy to how that works, What's your experience of trying to change or, I guess, pivot someone's digital footprint? 
Yeah, that's a really interesting point. I've had the same situation where I've had a client come to me and it's like, oh, the top three articles are really, really terrible. You need to do the work. It's as simple as that. And you do need to set a campaign and have be very strategic about how you're going to rebuild your credibility and come across authentically. Because when people are looking, consumers are looking online, they're looking for voices and brands that really resonate with their own values. So if they come across these things and it hasn't been rectified or, or countered with you know, more recent activity, that is going to definitely have, you know, a, a negative impact on your reputation and, and the way they view and, and whether they make the choice to go with your brand or you as an individual. So it's really important to have this almost always on approach to comms. And I can give you some examples of some of the clients. Yeah, I'd love to. I mean, I, I can picture what you're saying, but I think for a lot of people, they it's a bit opaque, you know, they're like, how does that happen? What does that involve? Yeah. So look, we had one client that we worked with for a number of years and she was in the education space for a long time. And, you know, she'd achieved a lot. And one of her goals was to have an OAM. So to be recognized by the Queen on Australia Day, that was a real goal for her, you know, just to really feel like she's been honored for all of the work that she put into the industry. And but when you Googled her, you found one picture in some random party, and that's all there was to it. She had absolutely nothing. She was very private. And so we really went out there and changed it and strategically created an ongoing campaign of where she got involved with the community. We profiled her business. We profiled herself. We profiled, you know, people who worked with her for a long time. We we went into some very heavy communications around her foundation and the things that she did. And within you know, two or three years, she had about 10 pages of Google just on all the things that she had done to build up to this award submission or the recognition that she needed to put in. And she did achieve it in the end. She did get that OAM. So, you know, so building that reputation does online specifically in that digital footprint does take a strategy. And also it's not an overnight thing. I was going to say time, you're talking years, not people just think you're going to instantly obliterate it. No, and I mean, listen, you can, but oftentimes it's for the wrong reasons. (laughs) So if something, you know, like a crisis, that's when you get a lot of things happening to you online and that's not necessarily a good thing. There are other ways to, you know, speed the process up if your brand is quite cheeky, quite exciting, maybe it's, you know, targeted a certain audience, then maybe a stunt, an online stunt of some sort. So another example of ours, we worked with a brand called Butterroom Ginger and they have lots of ginger products and they were bringing out um, you know, a lot of ginger drinks, ginger-based drinks. And we had this idea to pull together the first ever ginger pride parade, meaning we asked all of the redheads and gingers and nearly redheads to come and gather in Melbourne and we had the march in solidarity against like bullying, which is something we found that was really a thing for, you know, younger people who were they were, they were targeting as a brand. And it was something that, we, you know, we created as an occasion to bring redheads together and march against bullying. And we were also raising funds at the same time. And our KPI at the time was to bring about 100 to 150 people to the one spot and do a, a one kilometer march. Well, on the day, a thousand people showed up. Wow. Of, it's yeah. a good problem to have, but that's a huge capacity 
shift. Huge capacity shift. And we had, I've never seen this, but we had Sunrise and the Today Show fighting over the story because we gave the exclusive to the Today Show. And we had Sunrise show up on the day two and they just did little sneaky interviews on the side. It got so much traction. I think it got about 250 articles online, news, traditionally, everywhere. It was everywhere. It went overseas. It went absolutely viral. It was massive. And as a result, and I talk about business impact a lot, so Budroom Ginger was then, they didn't have this kind of distribution, but both Woolies and Coles picked up these drinks and these products to distribute nationally So because they loved the innovation and the creativity around that, that launch um, for their their beverage line and they loved how they connected with that younger audience that they were targeting and it was we did it for three years in a row because it was just so popular that we just moved locations so that just goes to show you can create that quick hit but it doesn't mean that once you're done that's the end of that you really need to have this always on and real innovative approach to your comms to build that you know that reputation So obviously the core of any successful PR and communications campaign, including digital comms, has a strategy behind that. I always say that to people and you've probably had clients who come to you too and like, well, I just want to be in the AFR. I'm like, yes, but there has to be a strategy. That's how, that's the roadmap. That's how we know we're all on the same page. How can people think about that for their digital comms, perhaps beyond their corporate life? Is there there a way, particularly if you're trying to build your personal brand, which obviously a lot of people are focused on these days, is there a way in which you can map it out like you would a campaign? I think it's really difficult for a younger person to know where they're going to go in their career. But once you, you hit a certain time, you know, in that mid-management to upper management to real corporate, you know, leadership, I feel like it's really smart if you start thinking a little bit long-term as far as what what are you what are you passionate about and where do you want to go? With your career, I mean, do you want to become an author? Do you want to become a speaker in your area of expertise? Do you want to do workshops? Do you want to have online courses? Where do you want to go once that, you know, you want to take a step back from that corporate ladder? Where do you want to go? And the sooner you have a little bit more of a path, the more strategic you can be about that. And you can start building a plan for what does that digital footprint for your expertise look like? Which are the pillars that you think you're really strong at and you can build a voice around? And once you understand that a little bit better, then you can start using LinkedIn as a platform. You can start using PR as a platform to talk about those certain areas to start becoming that go-to for media, for example, or, you know, your audience on LinkedIn that you're the go-to person when it comes to productivity or to workplace design or what is it that you're going to be that expert on and the sooner you do it the more you build that following and then once you're ready to make that step it's so much easier to start working through it in a more commercial sense and offering products versus starting completely fresh so the sooner you recognize what that might look like you know in five years in 10 years in 15 years time you can start really building a comms and a digital comms plan around that to help you and support you when you're ready to make that step. 
It's great advice, but I am curious about, you know, obviously our digital comms evolves as we do. And I'm thinking, I'm actually very grateful that in my early 20s, we didn't have a lot of social media because I don't know if I would just have posted really naff things that I'd now regret and wouldn't really help me with my digital profile. How can you I guess, shape it as as you evolve? Is it about changing platforms or kind of just changing messages abruptly? How can you segue? Because I think a lot of people, they might start off in one area and then, you know, five years later, they're suddenly retraining or they want to be a speaker and they've never done that before. How do you do that in a way where it's not like starting over? You know, the one thing that people forget, and I, I imagine that you would know all about this as well, when we get a brief and we get someone coming in wanting to do something, they so often forget who it is that they're talking to. They don't even broach that subject. And so many times I will say, who is your audience? Who are you trying to actually target? And sometimes they scratch their heads. They don't, and they're not entirely sure. And I think that's where it begins. It's not about you when it comes to comms or digital comms. So know who your target customer or target audience is and evolve with them. It's about knowing that customer and where they live. And that can be a little bit of desktop, desktop research. It can be a little bit of a, you know, you can, you can do just asking around a bit of a focus group. Uh, there's ways to do it. There's ways. There's so much data out there and so many tools out there that you can use to find that out. And I think don't try to be everything to everyone because you won't succeed. There's so many platforms now. It is literally out of control. You wake up in the morning and you look at so many platforms between your social, whether it be Instagram and maybe you're still on Facebook, maybe you're, you know, you're on Snapchat or maybe you're an avid TikToker, maybe you're, you know, you're getting all your messages through WhatsApp and then you've got to check in your LinkedIn and that you haven't hit your website yet, you haven't looked at your DMs, you haven't looked at your emails. It's complete and utter insanity in terms of the platform. So don't do everything because you won't do it successfully, know your audience and then tailor and evolve with them. So I'll give you an example. We work with Click Frenzy. So it's one of Australia's biggest retail sale and it help, happens multiple times a year. Now, we hadn't, you know, we, we really thought that it was, you know, probably a mum with a couple of kids trying to save, you know, maybe in the lead up to Christmas we thought that was really a key target audience. But what we realized as we went on because of the data is that actually a lot of the buyers are a lot younger. So we started off with some Instagram and then we moved to TikTok. And what we looked at afterwards was that the activity we did on TikTok with influencers actually drove probably some of the top traffic to the site when the when the sale happened and this was just learning through understanding where does that audience live what did they want to see what did they engage with so that was a really strong strategy for us so it is always don't think you need to be everything to everyone have content everywhere know your audience and evolve with them and work backwards that way great advice crisis is something which we touched on a bit earlier in this conversation what do you think is the best form of digital communication in a time of a crisis? And I know it's hard to do a one-size-fits-all answer to this, but is there an example where perhaps you've worked with a client and, you know, for example, putting in a press release is probably not the best thing to be doing when something's really kind of immediate and there's life and death stuff. What do you usually suggest to clients in that first hour to 24 hours? 
I think it's even further than that. Um, I think that if you can, and not many brands do this, so if you can actually think through what your potential crisis could be as well, so be ready ahead of time. There are so many brands that don't do this and it's so great. Even if you have a simple document, okay, this is the person that will face media. Here is a potential Q&A that we can work through. Here are some key numbers. Here are the people you need to bring together that will help you through this crisis. Very simple crisis management plan, a very simple plan. That is the absolute gold gold star. If you can do that, that's great, but not many brands do. In case you do find yourself in a crisis, I really think it's about gathering as many facts as you can very quickly, but having a response ready to go. The one thing that I see clients do is just clamp down. They just shut down and they don't want to talk to media that I want to talk to anyone. They just want to put their head in the sand because they're so terrified of making a step or taking the wrong step. So I think that really being able to jump in and to start communicating, whether that is online with your customers, whether that is on, you know, through statements to media, through making someone available to chat through. And even if it's something like very, very serious, I'll give you an example. When I worked in Vancouver uh, with Starbucks, they actually had an after hours incident where an estranged partner of, of one of the women that worked there came in and they had a fight and he actually killed her in the store it's as bad as it gets really like as it gets it was so so heavy and obviously you know starbucks being a very big big brand had some of those crisis comms plans in place but i don't know that they honestly had this in there and that's the thing with crisis you just don't know what's ever going to happen but you can you know you, you can mobilize if you've got a pretty big disaster so as you can imagine police was involved hugely and there was it it was it was a massive massive deal in the city but within 24 hours you know we had we had our spokesperson ready to go we had uh, statements that were ready to go you know the store was shut down for three months we created a comms plan around what does that look like Um, and this was my team it was actually before my time to be honest I wasn't involved in this one but I heard all about it and I really learned a lot from the case study but they they just did such a great job of managing and involving the community because it was also then down to the question of are Starbucks stores safe that's the first thing that comes to someone's mind right so it was all about making customers feel very very comfortable so they shut it down they communicated along the way they also got involved in the community because this was a domestic violence situation they also got very involved in the local domestic um, violence uh, organizations not-for-profits and then they had a, a, a really an incredible refurbishment of the store and reopening and they put um, a plaque and really honoured the person that that was you know the person who worked in the store that was murdered. So it was incredibly well handled. But this is what I mean. It's it really is. You have to be all in and you have to be really really fast. Couple of trends that you expect to see as we kick into digital comms for twenty twenty three. Maybe one or two. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I think I think with an impending potential recession. I think it's going to be all about ROI. So I think you need to get really deep with measurement. How is your campaign, PR and digital comms campaign, how is it laddering back to business impact? 
And if you're not working with people who know how to measure success, it's not good enough to just talk about, oh, here's some coverage and clippings in media and here's the potential reach. It's not good enough. You need to get deep and you need to understand the traffic that you're driving and ultimately the conversions and how how you are making an impact on the business. So that's something that PR professionals really need to understand that without this, they'll become irrelevant. I think that's a huge, huge uh, trend that we'll see. And then I think the other one that's really massive is AI. So looking at things like chat, G. Which is everywhere. <laughs> it's it's like the number one thing everyone's talking about, I've decided. Exactly, exactly. And there's been lots of other things that people talked about along the way, but this is happening, you know. So I think yeah. that to start understanding it and seeing how it's going to impact. I don't see, you know, copywriters or PR professionals going anywhere anytime soon, but certainly there's some implications there and I think we all need to understand that. Best business advice or life advice that you were ever given and why? This, my first director at a PR agency used to see that I was indecisive in certain situations and she brought me and she said, I can't stand indecision. And indecision often comes with not having enough experience, but I think we all have really good intuition. So she said to me, you don't know something? That's okay, but come to me with three solutions and tell me which one you think you'd go with and I will support that and I will back you and guide you in the right direction. And the minute she said that, I became the most resourceful person ever and I teach this to my team all the time because it makes you think on your feet. And that is just an invaluable part of, of just being great at your job. Excellent. If we spoke again in a year's time, what number one goal would you have hoped to have kicked and what would that look like? I think creating stability. It's been such an incredible journey the last few years from hitting COVID and then our business doubling in size because of our niche and, you know, the things that we were doing and I just think having stability in the business and preparing us for that next stage, we want to become the mid-size agency of the year. And so creating that and and achieving that in the next year or two would be an absolute dream. Great, great goal to have. I'll check back in with you to see how you go in a year. A final takeaway message for everyone listening on the politics of digital communication. The number one takeaway is setting KPIs for any campaign, I think work with people who can set KPIs that you feel really good about and that you can measure. I think measuring success and your KPIs and then tweaking uh, your campaigns going forward, that to me is the number one thing. It really is about business impact and you should know how to work with your team to create that. Fantastic to have you on today. If you want to connect further with Sharon, there will be some details on the show notes. Until next time, take care. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today. If you've enjoyed the politics of everything, I thrive on your feedback. So please add a short review and share the podcast with your network through Apple, Spotify, and all the usual suspects. I'm always on the hunt for new and diverse guests. So if you or someone you know has a fresh idea you're busting to get out there, please email me at amber at amberdanes.com and my crew will get back to you very soon.